Welcome to the Soul Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, build a community of adventure junkies, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting and the outdoors, my mission is to help you live a bucket list life and move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Meet us here weekly as I connect with like-minded men and women to discuss health and mindset, accountability, life and entrepreneurship, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. All right, here we go with another episode of the Soul Summit Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Jake and John from Praying Man Apparel. This was a fun conversation where we just kind of sat down, caught up, and talked about their origin with Praying Man Apparel and what kind of gave them their start, how they connected to be entrepreneurs and small business owners together, and what Praying Man is all about. We also talk about the ins and outs of entrepreneurship and their um, rebranding and decisions to do so and just kind of talk about assessing markets, taking your customers on the journey with you, uh, and lots of things about running and owning small businesses. Then of course we talk about blacktails. Um, this is kind of where John and I both, uh, spent our time growing up hunting and Jake coming from the Midwest is now getting a, a hefty dose of hunting, uh, blacktail and elk out here in Oregon. Um, he's obviously been here a while and has some pretty cool stories, including a cool elk hunt where he, um, takes us on the journey of him basically on a three week, um, solo elk hunting experience with some not so great elements that he had to work around and really what it taught him about his mindset and mental fortitude to stay in a hunt that long, especially when you're missing family and, uh, feeling the pressure of wanting to get back home. Um, John talks about a really tricky blacktail he has here this year from his 22 season with a big mature, uh, stud buck that just was not allowing him to play the game, kind of what he'll do differently differently in the future and what that looked like for him, as well as they both talk about some of their favorite tactics for hunting blacktail here in Oregon. And, uh, just a fun conversation talking about all things, hunting, entrepreneurship, family life, uh, totally great guys. You're going to love this. Be sure to check out their podcast as well. It's called the praying man podcast. Um, and they also have an apparel company with lots of cool swag, of course, geared around our favorite things here in the Pacific Northwest elk and blacktail. All right, without further ado, let's dive right into the show. If you're in the market for some new optics, don't forget to check out Mavenbuilt. This consumer direct company is spinning heads, winning awards, and producing some of the best quality glass at a direct to consumer price. I've been using Maven's unrivaled binoculars and scopes for over seven years, and on every level, they've surpassed my expectations. Head over to mavenbuilt.com to check out their top of the line optics, read the reviews and pull the trigger on the glass you've been eyeballing. That's M-A-V-E-N-B-U-I-L-T.com. Use the code soulsummit-gift and get a surprise in your next order just for listening to the show. Today's episode is also brought to you by... Not only do Sawyer's off-grid water filtration systems, family-friendly and gear-safe insect repellents, and their first aid supplies help keep you safe and comfortable in the field, Sawyer also gives back worldwide. Every Sawyer product you buy is a contribution to our common humanity, bringing clean water programs to people in need domestically, internationally, and in disaster relief missions all around the world. 
Sawyer is 10 plus years into relief programs and works with over 140 charities in 80 countries, touching and saving the lives of millions of people every year. Serving a bigger purpose is what Sawyer is all about. Nature wants to get explored, gear up and go adventure, knowing that every Sawyer product has been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Find Sawyer products on Amazon or locate a store near you by heading to Sawyer.com. This podcast is also proudly supported by the Her Outdoor Journey brand. Our mission is to create common ground for passionate outdoor junkies, bridge the gap for women that hunt, and inspire you to live your bucket list life. Hop on over to HerOutdoorJourney.com to dive into the blog, find events near you, and join this community of outdoors men and women. That's HerOutdoorJourney.com. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Soul Summit podcast. Today, I'm actually sitting in person, which feels pretty amazing, uh, with two friends of mine, uh, John and Jake from Praying Man Apparel. You guys, uh, I think we've known each other for probably, shoot, seven years or so. We started running into each other at Bowtech. And uh, yeah, sitting across from you now feels pretty cool to Mm -hmm. catch up and learn more about you guys. But give us kind of the oversight of uh, who you guys are and what you guys do. John. Absolutely. That's a hard pass. (laughs) That's a hard pass. Yes, yes. Hey, good to see you again. (laughs) Thanks for having us, Courtney. Um, Gosh, yeah, I'd say it'd be about seven years, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you were, uh, I think you you were like a pretty, pretty big deal back, back about, you still are, but I recall you coming in the pro shop there at Bowtech and getting your, you were doing the... uh, the the fitness racing right the yep. uh, what was Train that to called hunt. Train, Train to hunt. hunt Train to hunt yeah I think you you did okay with that if I recall did okay might yeah. might have got a couple uh, medals may have yeah a couple belts yeah some <laughs> residual back pain <laughs> yeah uh, there was a pretty big target on your back I think for a couple of years you were you were the one to beat I think so yeah yeah with the guys oh yeah most you were <laughs> you were leaving most of those guys in the dust yeah yeah no that was those are good times. Um, yeah, so I'm John Eastburn, and uh, I got Jake Seal to my right, and we are the owner and operators of um, Praying Man Apparel. And underneath that umbrella, we have a, a bunch of gear, and it's it's uh, long long and short of it is it's it's lifestyle apparel, hoodies, shirts, hats, and um, it's all um, revolves around the outdoors, which is our love and passion, and. Uh, so that's, that's what we're doing. We also have a podcast called the Praying Man Podcast and, and, uh, we're pretty active in that, but yeah, that's what we like to fish and hunt. We're just regular dudes and we have, both have families and, and yeah, that's kind of what we're all about. Jake, would you like to add to that? Not really. I think you did a great job there. Uh, so yeah, we've been in the apparel business for probably about 2018 mm-hmm. and learned all of that ourselves which has been, you know, we're learning things every day, but we design and print everything uh, in Cottage Grove, Oregon. So it's pretty cool. We try to keep everything as in-house as possible. So, which we pretty much do. It's like short of actually making the garment, Mm -hmm. everything else we do. So it's a two-man operation and we've just kind of been slowly growing it. And it's tough, you know, like John said, we both have families and we love (laughs) to hunt and fish a bunch. So, uh, squeezing all of that in while starting a business has been pretty challenging, but also really rewarding. Definitely. Well, and I feel like 
you know, through, you know, COVID, I hate to say the word again, but it really, Ooh. it really forced a lot of businesses, especially something like, you know, an apparel company to really pivot quite a bit. But I'm curious kind of beyond that, like, where did you guys come up with the name praying man? And like, what does that encompass for you guys? It's a great question. It's great that, timing. It's <laughs> good time. Do you want to tackle this right now? Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you go with it then. Okay. I've been practicing this. So to answer your question, uh, so we originally started out as the crave and we, you know, that was kind of the podcast, uh, that we started with. <clears throat> and I will say probably like naming a child coming up with a business name is second maybe to the amount of time that we spent trying to figure that out. And, uh, our, our silent third partner, Nate Bailey had come up with, because we always had the idea of like, well, we, you know, if we're going to print shirts, you know, there'll probably be a situation where we'll print shirts for other people and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And I don't know, we had somehow the name like praying mantis was like praying mantis mm -hmm. was like a play on words. And for whatever reason that kind of stuck. So fast forward to today and John and I have been in deep conversation the last, I don't know, two months about changing the name again, <laughs> <laughs> because for your listeners, uh, if you're not aware, it's, it's P R E Y. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really hard to always have to explain that to people. Um, not that it's, you know, usually people can find our website if they try hard enough, sure. but, uh, we don't feel like maybe that's probably the best route. So being that we're still relatively new at this, uh, we probably are going to do some tweaks to the company name. So we, one thing that's really helped us kind of get some traction has been the fact that we do a lot of blacktail stuff mm -hmm. and there's no little to no blacktail apparel out there. So the fact that when everybody sees us, whether we're at a sportsman show or, you know, we're doing some, some event, we are always called the blacktail guys. I'm like, Oh, you guys do the blacktail stuff. Right. And like, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, you know, in our mind, we're like, well, we should probably leverage that a little bit. So in the future, probably in the near future, after the first of the year, we're, we're going to have a little bit of separation between church and state with praying man and blacktail and stuff and, and, and just reorganize a little bit. So, uh, the original name to your, to your, to your question, to your original question was honestly just, we had a list of different names and we could never agree on anything. And I think it just finally came down to that. You know, we thought it was kind of catchy. Mm -hmm. At the time, we wanted it to be something a little bit different than, you know, OutdoorT-shirts.com. Sure. So that's where we are. And uh, it's kind of an ever-changing thing. And, and I, I believe that uh, we're in a position that this next transition is probably going to be the last. Sure. <laughs> so, but uh, there's going to be, yeah. you know, Praying Man's still going to be on uh, out there. And it's going to be something that we continue to do. And then we're going to just, just tweak a little bit the blacktail mm -hmm. side of things. So, well, I love that your guys' apparel really encompasses what I would consider like the Pacific Northwest, which is in, you know, that's my roots. That's where I grew up. Um, so it's great because I feel like your guys' stuff is a lot different. Typically you see a lot of mule deer stuff or whitetail guys or elk, you know, everything, but it's nice because I always recognize the praying man stuff. It just definitely has that blacktail Pacific Northwest vibe to it, but I'm interested to see the name of, uh, the new, iteration of this. Um, but I agree with you. It's, it's so hard to like, I think approach your business, which is always changing as times change, as marketing needs change, as you know, your customer base may change. It's hard to like end up sticking with 
what you started as. Um, and this is like a whole nother sub subject in like getting into business and stuff, but I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on how you make those changes. You know, is it just something mm -hmm. where you guys kind of all sit around and you just discuss like your needs? And is there a point when you got to go like, okay, we just have to stick with this and be happy with, you know, whether that's the branding or the logo or the name of it or whatever. Um, and how do you feel like that helps or hurts you in moving forward with this market right now? That's a good question. Here we go. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a lot of variables to that question. And I think it really kind of depends on where you are at as a company, mm -hmm. how long you've been around, you know, the type of traction your brand has and, you know, what a change in, I love marketing. I love, and I love advertising. I love to see how companies get people to think the way they want to think. Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so in our situation, you know, we're lucky enough to, you know, we've, we've worked at some bigger companies. So we've kind of got back, be able to sit back and watch right. some of these companies make decisions. And some have been great and worked out really well. And then some of the decisions have kind of fallen flat on their face, mm -hmm. but it's really great to be able to have kind of have that data. And for us, you know, like to my point earlier, when John and I are at a show or, you know, we're doing an event, that is a really great barometer to kind of get all that data back from the people that are buying our products. So if we keep hearing, Hey, you're the blacktail guys, mm -hmm. you know, you do the blacktail stuff like, okay. So people really aren't calling us by our company name. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we can take all of these data points and plug them in and say, okay, if we do make a change, what does that look like? And again, to your point, really good question. And this is where Nate's really good. <laughs> He's always good uh, kind of like bringing up all the, the, the nitty gritty of, mm -hmm. of making a change like that. And like, how heavy of a lift is that? Okay. So you're talking about branding, you're talking about imaging, you're talking about graphics, you're talking, and then that, that's all quite honestly, that's the easy part. Mm -hmm. The biggest part is to getting to making sure that you retain as many of your customers that you already right. have come with us and, you know, follow us. Cause I mean, as we talked before we hit the record button, everybody's got a pretty short attention span right mm -hmm. now. So if it's too big of a leap or you make it tough on that consumer, they're not going to follow you. Right. You know, you might get them back later on, but that's hard to do. Well, and the, one of the reasons that I asked that was kind of a selfish question. Although I know a lot of people that listen have, you know, they're entrepreneurs or they have small businesses. Um, and, and so people think about like, can I make a change? You know, as my business has evolved, can I make the change? And, and what I think about is, um, this last year I changed the name of the podcast because this natural progression of my show has been, you know, it's still a lot about women and families and kind of bridging that gap, but it's more all encompassing for men and women and, and families. And so it's the name changed, but as that name changed, I don't feel like everybody came with me and it probably was in my assessment because I didn't lead them through that name changing, you know, yeah. and kind of like invite them to come with me. Like you were just saying like, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're pivoting a little bit here. Take this journey with us. Now we're the black tail guys or whatever it ends mm -hmm. up being for you guys. So I love that you brought that up because it is a good, you know, they're your customers. They're loyal. They want to buy your products and support you as, you know, family men. And, and, uh, so that it's only natural that those people want to like, feel like they're a part of that evolution with you. Indeed. Uh, I, and John can 
back me up on this. The one of the toughest things, and I, I, you know, I, I see social media and I see influencers and I see these, these folks that are doing really well. The, John and I by nature are just it's pretty self-deprecating and we have a hard time kind of putting ourselves out there to promote ourselves. It's just, it's not, we, we'd rather help somebody else, you know, lift somebody else up. Mm-hmm. So for us to be, you know, Hey, look at us, look at us, look at us. That's tough for us. It just, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It, we have to get over that. And I think for anybody that, I think there's a lot of people with that mindset out there, probably <laughs> I'll say in our age group, you know, who, you know, we didn't grow up with social media. We sure. Or cell phones. Or cell phones. For or cell phones, yeah. <clears throat> or anything other than a rotary dial phone. I'm not that old. I just didn't have cell service out in the booties growing up. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, that's the thing. Because, you know, we'll do, we'll promote. And then you, you have to keep promoting. Yeah. You know, even if it's the same thing. I mean, how many times do you see suggested, you know, or, or paid posts that you've seen every single time you open up Instagram? Mm-hmm. And I think to the person who is putting that content out there that can be, you know, you you can almost feel there's almost like a guilt. Like, I don't feel like I should be doing this so much. You yeah. know? Like I've already made the statement. Yeah. I've already, you know, tried to sell this t-shirt or whatever. But the reality is you may miss a bunch of people. So like, that's why people keep kind of, you got to hammer it home. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I would say that's definitely probably the hardest part of our business is the is the social media aspect uh getting back to kind of your original question about how our decisions made i think we're really good at coming up with ideas and you know whether it be jake's say shirt ideas or uh, a way to market or you know hey i know this person who knows this person and you know here's a shirt order we could do but the, the long and short of it i mean you just need to make a decision at some point mm-hmm. if you sat back i was thinking about this the other day We'd still, if we hadn't made, <laughs> we have had so many ideas, at some point you need to take a step forward and then make a decision. And if it doesn't work out, move on from there or change it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there and I, I was guilty of this for a very long time of just sitting back and trying to figure everything out first. So when <clears throat> you do make that decision and you go to put plans in place, you know, you have it lined out the best of your ability, at least mm-hmm. what you think. But that could be years down the road before you pull the trigger on that. So I think, especially as an entrepreneur, or small business owner, I was like, just action is important. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, listening to how your customers react, you know, that's the important thing. I mean, without them, you know, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. So kind of, uh, that's why those shows are so important for us. You know, our marketing budget isn't huge, but going to those shows and hearing the feedback. Yeah. Um, that's gold. So, yeah, we will continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some really good points. I mean, I think sometimes, I don't know, I feel like I'm a, maybe a combination of the two when it comes to business, like making decisions. Um, sometimes I like, I'm all in before I really know exactly where I'm going. Um, I create and think and like, I'm always, I always have ideas, whether it's a brand new business or a side hustle or at one point I wanted to do a a conservation project, which was a run from coast to coast. And I was like, I'm going to get everybody involved. Like my brain can just go wild. It's pretty crazy. Uh, My poor husband, but um, (laughs) you know, I think sometimes, yeah, like you said, you just kind of have to start moving 
in order to figure out too, like what are going to be these next steps that I don't even know that I'm going to have to take yet. And sometimes the action can kind of lead you to that point where then you go, okay, now mm -hmm. I have another choice. Um, I don't know about you guys. And I'm curious to know, cause I've never really asked any other guys this, but for me personally, I know, and maybe it's kind of been exhausted a little bit more in this last couple of years, but I can't stand to make a decision. Like it comes to food at a restaurant or coffee at the place. <laughs> and I just show up and I'm like, Hey, what would you be having? Give me that. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. um, how do you guys feel like, is this decision fatigue, like a thing for dudes too? Or is it only like a female problem? That's it's funny you say that because my wife and I will be going out, you know, and, uh, we'll be sitting down deciding what we want to eat and she'll say one, two or three. <laughs> and she has her choices that she would be, you know, happy with having. And then I just like, yeah, number two. And she's like, okay, that's what I'm having. So yeah, that's interesting. I had never thought about that aspect. I don't know if it's gender related, but I don't either. I, I believe there's personalities that can make a decision very quickly and are happy with that. And they never look back. And I definitely envy some of those people <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, because, I, you know, there's, I think it's more of a personality thing that it is, it is gender. I will say, uh, my wife, who I love very, very much, she definitely ponders things much okay. more. You know, she, she, she will stew on things. She will really, really think about all the, de you know, I find myself telling her, I'm like, let's just, I'll make the decision if, <laughs> if that's what you're, you know, asking because let's move on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It can be tough. And especially with a business when you're, you're dealing with as a, you know, when you don't have a big budget and the, every decision is really crucial. Mm -hmm. It can be really crucial. And we've made a lot of mistakes, a lot, a lot. And we continue to make a lot of mistakes, but I think that's, as long as you don't do it again, that's a good thing, right? You can mm -hmm. obviously learn from it and, and, and grow. And the one thing I think to, you know, your point and your question if you have a good network, that's one thing that like John and I both have very kind of different skill sets and the stuff that I'm good at, you know, he's, that's maybe his shortcoming and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Nate who isn't as involved anymore, but he's always such a, you know, he could be a wet blanket, but in a good way. <laughs> Cause him and I are a little bit more like gun ho and like, Oh, look at this. There's idea. a shirt idea right there. Yeah. Yeah. The wet blanket. <laughs> and, uh, but to have that person, even if they're not directly in your business, but if it's a sounding yeah. board, you'd be like, hey, here's what, here's what I'm thinking. You know, and if, if they're always like, well, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? You know, because they're, they use a different part of their brain for whatever reason. I think that's an awesome tool because I tell you, there's so many things that I don't think about that other business partners and just resources will, will bring up. And thank God, because... Otherwise the train gets too far down the track and you're like, man, I just wasted a bunch of time and I didn't even, you know, it's right. not, it's not feasible. Like I can't do this. Mm -hmm. so. so did you guys, how did you guys end up getting into business together? And, you know, you said that sometimes, you know, John has strengths that you don't and vice versa. Was that something where you guys kind of knew that going into it? And so you thought it might be a good partnership or what did the origin of your business uh, entrepreneurship unfold? <laughs> Uh, we just got, we both got canned from our jobs. So <laughs> that's a better story. It was out of necessity. <laughs> we have, we had to love each other. <laughs> yeah. It's an arranged business marriage. Uh, well, I don't, I think it was as far as each other's strengths and weaknesses, 
Now we've known each other for 12 years now, 11, 12 years. And we worked very, I mean, a couple offices apart most of the time when we were working there at our most recent vocation. So we were pretty close. I think it was, it was never like formally said. We just kind of knew uh, when we were forming our current business. And to back up a little bit, when we started uh, the Crave podcast, a couple people wanted some shirts. Right. And so we're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we can. There was probably one of them and I never got it, by the way. Probably. Probably. I have a double X for you. (laughs) It's been washed a few times. And so we ordered those shirts and our, our experience ordering those shirts wasn't the greatest, you know? And so we're like, well, maybe we can make these ourselves. And so I started researching, you know, screen printing. And one thing led to another. And before you knew it, you know, we had the press and the conveyor dryer and debt. flash dryer and debt. And, debt. <laughs> and uh, you know, and now we're making shirts for the podcast. And then Jake had lots of ideas in that head of his about, you know, blacktail and just, you know, Northwest type designs and even well beyond that. And so then we were, that's how we got into making our own stuff. Is that, that's how it originally started. And so to your, so as far as kind of division of labor though, that we did, I remember when we wrote out the first business plan, you know, we, we had pretty, obviously we all helped doing everything. Right. But there was, you know, John, you're, you know, he was, as far as production goes, like that's his, that's his baby. Right. That's when it comes to production, he made a lot of those decisions and does a lot of the production when it came to design and marketing and, any type of social posts. Like I do most of that stuff. So it, and, and again, you know, he doesn't care to do that. I care, I care to do it a little bit more, but still not a lot. But I tried, <laughs> I, I think it started out, you know, there for six months. I was trying to do the social. Yeah. Too. That was, oh, it was bad. That was some, that's, if you want a good chuckle, go back and look at some of those. <laughs> Struggled, man. But then, you know, we had Nate on board and he was, you know, obviously with his IT background, you know, he kind of built everything and like worked. So, so it was real easy, but it, again, that was pretty much spelled out right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What, who was going to do what? Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, when we need to crank out 1500 shirts for somebody or ourselves for a show, then we all get together and we all do it. Yeah. Hustle, make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to move to blacktail hunting, which is kind of a shared passion of all of ours. But before we do that, I'd have to just ask like somebody listening in and maybe wants to start a business. Do you have any advice kind of having this experience with some trial and error and a successful business, like any, you know, best tips for somebody? My brother said something to me one time and I'll, you know, I'll never forget it. He just, he's always said, you know, at the end of the day, be be proud of the glad you dids and try to eliminate the wish you would have, you know? So my advice is whatever you, even if you have an idea, there is nothing worse than regret. Mm. Nothing. You can try and fail. At least you tried. And, you know, I think that sting is far less hurtful than not doing something and wish you would have tried. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. is, you, you know, to John's point earlier, got to have some action, mm-hmm. you know, lay it out, write it down, talk to people, be choosy on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can get too many, um, too, too much advice probably at some point and it starts to get pretty confusing. Yeah. 
start talking yourself out of things because of other people's opinions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So stay true to yourself and you know, your idea. And then this was, this had kind of been our idea. Granted it evolved and changed a little bit, but you know, we kind of all, we're all working towards a similar goal, but I, I don't think people write stuff down enough anymore. Sure. You know, I think it's very therapeutic and it's, it just kind of gets, what is it, what is the saying? Promotion creates emotion. So I think just if you have an idea, put it on paper or, or in your phone notes or wherever, but have it so you can always right. go back to it. Cause there's like, so many things where you forget ideas. Well, and it's easy to see the next shiny thing and then forget what the original plan was in the first place, which isn't always a bad thing, but I think sometimes it's, it's easy to like you know, have one idea that you feel like is great, but then, you know, you're going down that road and then you see something else, then you like, you're just pivoting. So you don't really ever have an actual place you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, what about you? Any advice for somebody? Oh yeah. I mean, the human brain is, is not a place to store ideas. Mine, especially, um, you know, it is sticky notes Mm -hmm. all over the, all over around your, your office. Uh, no, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And, you know, once you, if you have an idea and once you figure out, you know, how you want to go about it, whatever it is, how you want to make money, you know, I just, I would, if I had to do it over again, if I could rewind it four or five years, I would lean into um, becoming an expert in that field. You know, learn as much as you can about it. Motivation is a great thing. And I think we all need it. There's, plenty of avenues and spots to go out there to get motivation. But if you don't know what you're doing and you're not in, and you're motivated, well then you're just a motivated idiot. <laughs> right. And I've been guilty of that before. So I think, uh, you know, we're constantly learning, um, in our business, but I think you just, you need to dive in and learn everything you can about it and then take action. Mm-hmm. So. You, you do have to step back and become a student again. Oh, for sure. And there's never been a better time where there's more and there's easier ways to mm-hmm. get all the information. I mean, I pick on John and I want to make him a YouTube university shirt because, you know, he's he's probably had, you know, three years worth of college credits that he's watched on <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> but everything is there. If you have a question, honestly, like somebody else has had that question before. Yeah. And somebody else has made a YouTube video about it and they've explained how they went through it and the mistakes they've made. So it's, there's never been a better time to kind of shrink the amount of mistakes you can make. You're always going to make mistakes, but there's a lot of people and a lot of information out there telling you what, how to do things, at least get you on the right path. So Mm -hmm. if it's something in manufacturing or if it's something in content creation, or if it's, you know, whatever, anywhere in between there's, there's so much information. Yeah. Find it to John's point, become as much of an expert as you can before you make an investment. So, and I totally agree with that. And I love things like Skillshare or YouTube, you know, you can jump on, you can get really laser focused on the topic that you want to learn about, um, to better yourself in business or whether it's, you know, your own business or somebody else's. But then I get to this point where I feel like, where is that happy medium? And maybe it's all coming down to like budget and finances to where you're no longer the owner, operator, you know, creator, um, laborer, so to speak. And you're allowing to like delegate and let other people do those things. Maybe it is all just a budget thing. Maybe it's a control thing. You know, people want to have as much um, buy in their own business. 
But I find for me, and I was just talking to Dave Brinker about this, like, I feel like I'm at a point with my business where I'm like, I either got to hire and have somebody else start taking over these things um, in order to get to that next level. Do you guys feel like you're there? Have you been there? Or what is that like for you guys? I look forward to that day very much so. (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends on, well, for, depends on the person, you know, on the entrepreneur and their goals. Like, you know, what are your goals for that, for that company? Because a lot of people are, want to grow it to a point where they can make a, you know, pay the bills, make a decent living and, you know, they own everything, you know, they're wearing all the hats and that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if someone's looking to scale it, you know, to a larger size, like, you know, we have aspirations. I'm sure you have aspirations too. Sounds like you're going to have to be able to do that at some point. Mm-hmm. Just, just how it's, it's going to have to happen. Otherwise, you know, and I first, we're kind of getting there. We've, we've had a little success thanks to our awesome, um, customers and, mm-hmm. you know, core group of, of friends and acquaintances, but, uh, I don't see any way around not being able to bring on some other help and, and to be able to scale. So we've watched, you know, countless videos and, and, uh, wealth building business building videos. And one thing that always comes up is the fact that when you start finding yourself, like you as the business owner are extremely valuable, mm-hmm. extremely. So if you, you know, and just one like little example, obviously we do screen printing. So, you know, for John and I to spend a lot of our day or a lot of our week doing things that you could pay somebody to do, you know, you could pay them 20 bucks an hour when you could be creating new business, mm-hmm. you know, at $80 an hour, you could, you know, or you could be creating a hundred dollars an hour worth of business. Mm-hmm. Once that, <clears throat> starts to become uneven and you're doing so much laborious work that honestly you should be paying somebody to do because you're not growing your business at that point. And, you know, we've talked about that a lot. It's like, and John always says the first person we hire, this is what they're going to do. Clean screens. And what's the other thing? I don't know. Something that it takes time. Yeah. It's t- time that John social media, <laughs> social, that's what it was. <laughs> they got to do both of those. They got to do both of those things. <laughs> yes. So, you know, when you start weighing it out and you get to the point where it sounds like you are getting to the point that, you know, you just have to assess, Yeah, have to assess, like, am I spending too much time doing something that <clears throat> not growing the business? Well, what, what, if you don't mind sharing sure. some of your aspirations or, or goals for, for your c- company and what would, what would those look like? You know, every year I'm expanding camps. So this year we're in Alaska. We're also in Utah. Um, and we've done New Mexico, Colorado, Washington, but I want to just be more of a resource in other people's home states. So getting more, um, education, whether that's for, you know, moms or for kiddos on things like, you know, first time hunting, you know, first time field dressing, tracking animals, like some of the most um, routine questions that I get asked are the things that I want to like dive into because I feel like there's such foundational things for a hunter, um, that they're the most important, you know? Um, so I want to grow the camps and then just continue to expand the podcast. But for me, you know, now I'm, I'm, and I don't want this to sound like a complaint. It's just an assessment. You know, I create the content, I record, I do the scheduling, I do the editing, I do all of the copy, you know, everything. So at the end of the day, I almost, you know, and I find myself often saying this to my husband, 
if I wasn't spending the time to do all of the editing and the copywriting and the this and the that and the other thing, I could spend more time like with people helping mentor them mm-hmm. in the things I'm most passionate about, which I'm getting asked the most questions on. So again, it's kind of like that dollar, <clears throat> um, that dollar amount. Like if I'm not making X amount of money doing this, I could be doing this for me. It's like, where's my biggest purpose? I'm the worst business person when it comes to money because I'm just not a big money person. I I'm just a passion. Like I want to get out there and help people and really bridge the gap for women because of course, as being a female in a space that's so male dominated, it's easy to get like almost pushed out the back door because you feel intimidated to like walk into a shop or ask questions or sound stupid, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Just helping create more impact in the ways that I think are the most important. Mm-hmm. Well, and to that point, it, uh, without a doubt, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. I mean, you can always tell the things that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. you, you do the best at. Mm-hmm. Like it's, we always, you know, when we were in sales, when you were passionate about a product, you you don't have to try because right. it's just very natural because you are genuinely excited about a product or a service, mm-hmm. you know, and in your instant instance, that's obviously... <laughs> That, you know, you're in a little bit of a tough situation because all of the inspiration, you know, the, like it's really important. The copy, the editing, mm-hmm. all that stuff's really important and it's, it's personal. Yeah. You know, that's the tough part yeah. is when, you know, so you got to kind of find those things that aren't quite as personal Yeah. and let somebody else do exactly. those. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and here's an example. Like I would have had somebody just take over this Kodiak Blacktail video <clears throat> and edit it, but they weren't there. Mm -hmm. Like they don't, they also don't really know. And then I think about things, you know, this is probably me overanalyzing everything in my life, but then I think, you know, well, will it be easier in time for me to do it because I I've organized everything and all the assets. So I know what everything is and where the files are. And I don't know, long story short, I think as an entrepreneur, as a solo entrepreneur, I think it's really easy to like get yourself into a groove sometimes where you know, you're full steam ahead, things are going well, but you can kind of get knocked off either side, kind of second guessing yourself. And I think that's kind of where I've been lately. Like, is it the right time to hire? Or is it not the right time to hire? (laughs) And then you're trying to read the market and the economy and everything else and Mm -hmm. making Mm -hmm. the best decisions based on that. But not to mention finding the right person. That's a whole nother topic, right? Jake, that's a whole nother topic, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. yeah, when it represents you and who you are and your core values, it's Mm -hmm. really important to find the right person. Mm -hmm. And that's something um, that I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is finding somebody that will show up and, and care enough, maybe not as much as you do for sure, but enough to help carry your baby, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a big deal. Are you ready to join us on the experience of a lifetime? Pack your bags and get ready for this bucket list adventure in Sitka, Alaska. You show up and we'll take care of the rest. This seven day all-inclusive vacation will have you fishing world-class water, hiking some of the most beautiful parts of Alaska, paddleboarding, and kayaking through Cascading Mountains. Wake up and watch the whales from our luxurious home and the glow of the sunrise. Soak in this experience with a small group of passionate outdoor women and your private guides. Plan for fun-filled adventure by day and relaxing in the evenings in our stunning house hidden on our private beach. Head over to heroutdoorjourney.com forward slash Alaska to join us on the trip of a lifetime. 
let's flip the script here a little bit and talk about blacktail. I'd love to just kind of hear your guys's background with hunting blacktail. And then also just kind of talk about this season and, and kind of your approach for, you know, hunting, whether it's early season or if it's getting into the rut. And then also, and this is a very long winded question, but what are your favorite ways to hunt blacktail? Uh, Jake and <laughs> myself, uh, our backgrounds are quite a bit different. Uh, I am born and raised in Oregon. Uh, I grew up on the coast, a little town called Triangle Lake. Um, old logging community. I think the population when I was there was just over 100. That was spread out over 20 miles. There really wasn't a whole lot of people out there, but great blacktail hunting. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's where I cut my teeth. Um, you know, hunting Roosevelt's in the brush, blacktails in the brush. And I've been hunting as long as I can remember. Uh, so, uh, that's my background. Uh, Jake, why don't you catch us up on yours real quick? Then we'll go into tactics and stuff like that. Yeah. To John's point, very different backgrounds. I, so I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Wisconsin. I moved to Oregon in 2005, um, October, 2005, I believe. So, uh, I had been to the, that I had only been to the Northwest one other time. And that was to visit the company I was eventually coming to work for. <clears throat> so I was in for a rude awakening. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was obviously a very avid whitetail hunter and kind of the same thing, you know, as John, as long as I can remember, I've been hunting I can thank my dad for that. He got me out and, you know, drug me along ever since I can remember, as long as I could, you know, just at least get into a stand, uh, I was always with him. So that was, was great. And I loved it. I loved whitetail hunting. I went elk hunting in Colorado when I was 16, 15, something like that. I think, uh, my dad took me with him. He had gone a couple of times and, uh, man, that was great. It was really, really cool. So, when we went elk hunting in Colorado, we, we did well. Like we were in an area, there was just a lot of elk. We were not good elk hunters by any, like <laughs> not at all, but this was, you know, 1998. So it just wasn't like it is now where you go to a trailhead and there's a million people there. It was still pretty, pretty low key. And so the success that I had in, um, those trips, you know, I kind of was like, well, this is not that hard really. I mean, we see a lot of elk. We were, we were, you know, punching tags with our archery equipment. It was great. Well, then I moved to Oregon and Western Oregon Mm -hmm. and I hated it. (laughs) I hated it. I mean, mentally it just, it broke me because I couldn't, to John's point, you know, as far as being in the brush, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't, you know, elk, the Roosevelt's just, you know, I wouldn't hearing anything. I didn't know what I was doing either. Mm -hmm. And, uh, blacktail hunting was, was kind of similar. I was getting beat up pretty bad. I, just, you know, fortunately I met John and I met some other guys that were nice enough to kind of give me some pointers. And, uh, obviously the last 15 years since I've been here, I've, I've adapted yeah, <laughs> a little bit, but it's, it, it's hard. <clears throat> it is, it is definitely a different mentally. It's a, it's just a different animal, literally. So, well, and I can imagine coming from the Midwest to the jungle of Mm -hmm. Western Oregon and being like, where am I supposed to hunt? You Mm -hmm. know, you've got a 10 yard shot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I actually was leaving the ATA handful of years ago and we were driving through, I don't know, Illinois or something. And I'm like, 
I swear to God, I just saw a tree stand off the side of the, you know, highway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And sure enough, there's just tree stands, tree, like right. I'm like, okay, well, this is how whitetail hunting must be then. Cause yeah. and it just blew my mind. I'm like, man, if these people only knew what hunting Western Oregon was like, <laughs> they would never hunt again. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, yeah, it's tricky here. Whitetail, I mean, it, the, it, it's easy to say like, oh, you know, anybody can go sit on a cornfield and, and shoot a whitetail deer and, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but like anything else, you know, have you, have you been white hunting? Have no. you ever done mm-hmm. it? No. They, John's done it a little bit and he can, you know, you did Texas and Ohio, right? Yeah. You've been to both those places. They are so, it, it's a, it's a different challenge. It's all, it's just mm-hmm. different. It's a different challenge. Those deer are so on edge, so on edge. I mean, there's, there's blacktail deer that we've hunted where you can almost walk right up to them. You know, I'm not saying a mature buck, but you get into some of these areas where blacktails really haven't seen many humans, you know, and they just, there's no, there's not much of a threat there and you can, you know, white-tailed deer, good luck. I mean. Is it just the mature bucks that are so cautious and on edge or is it just white-tails in general? White-tails in general are pretty spooky. Okay. Yeah. They're just super twitchy. Is it because they see so many people in a tree or I mean, is there? Uh, Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pressure related. Because there's, I mean, you look at some of the tags that are sold back in some of those Eastern states, you know, like what PA, almost a million oh tags gosh, or, yeah. you know, 500,000 archery tags. That's, wow. that's hunt just archery. Wow. And then you can get, you know, you can have five doe tags per person, you know, like growing up, that was the other thing that was really hard coming out here. <clears throat> like I was used to going, getting my archery tag in Wisconsin, which was, you got your, that, you know, your, your tag was good for one buck or a doe. And then you could have like five doe tags. You know, so a lot of opportunities, you know, coming out here, you have to, and that was just archery in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Then I would go to gun season, I'd get another buck tag. And then if I wanted to muzzle loader hunt, I'd get another buck tag. Um, not sure if it's still like that, but it, it, you can definitely use all, you know, and then you go to late season bow hunting after that. Wow. So like you can hunt from early September all the way into February, um, deer and lots of deer. <laughs> so coming out here where you have to pick your weapon mm-hmm. and that's your one deer opportunity. Maybe you get lucky occasionally and get a, a second deer tag, mm-hmm. you know, antlerless. Right. So I always wondered, you know, for like, you know, youth and stuff is whitetail hunting a really good way to kind of cut their teeth on something like a archery tree stand hunting situation, because there are so many opportunities. I mean, and it, you know, not all blacktail hunting here in Oregon is, low population, but a lot of it is, you know, you know, not seeing the amount of deer. I imagine Mm -hmm. you probably are if you're sitting in the Midwest, is that, would you say a good place to take a kiddo to, to go hunt? Like any situation, it depends where you are and it depends the population and it depends on how much pressure they had. Cause you can go to blacktail areas, you know, where we're sitting right now, you know, I have deer in my backyard quite a bit that aren't real scared (laughs) of us. And, uh, same thing with whitetail deer, you know, you get, the farmer field, farmer's field, you know, you get the eight or 10 does that are out there every night. You can pretty much count on them. You could probably go out there and shoot one, you know, mm-hmm. with, and I, to your point, I think that'd be a great way to start a kid. Yeah, for sure. To put them in a blind in Texas where those deer are like super amped because a lot of predators, you know, they just, they just, they just are, mm. um, probably wouldn't be the very best place to go, but I, I think it depends how much corn you're throwing on the ground. If you get in some Texas, bait on the though. ground in front of anybody, so. yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had, uh, 
if you have the means to, if you're in Oregon and you have the means to go hunt other states with your kiddos, I would say, gosh, you got to take advantage of it because the seasons are longer. Yeah. You know, you can get multiple animals and for a little guy or girl, you know, experiencing success mm-hmm. sooner than later, you know, is probably a pretty valuable thing. Mm-hmm. So that is one thing. I mean, going East is much cheaper. Mm. It's like for an out of state tag to go back to Wisconsin. Uh, I just know this cause I've checked into it to go back where my, my dad is. And you know, it's like $225 that's gets you your tag and you know, your, your license and like five tags. So wow. you get a buck tag and then mm-hmm. four or five doe tags yeah. for that. So that's nice. You well, know? I, and it just, it made me think of it because like, you know, my boys, they would go out with me quite a bit you know, hunting and, and it was just kind of always lackluster, Mm. you know, to the point where my youngest still is, he's really in it. He's also got to go hunt to Alaska. So he's like for sure in it. But my oldest, I almost think that had he had some successes or witnessed some successes earlier on, it might've kept him in it. Not that I think everybody should have this like instant reward. You definitely need to work for it, but I kind of wonder if it would have kept him in the hunting game a little longer than it did, but yeah, I, um, that's good. That's a good point. I did not know. So Oregon, uh, specifically speaking, I didn't know about all the youth hunt opportunities until I was, I wasn't a youth anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was actually diving into the regulations and reading them myself. And, you know, so 600 series in Oregon is an additional deer tag, right? And then there's 600 series youth tags, right? And then there's, 100 series buck tags and the mentor program, right. youth being able to hunt off an adults. And I was like, well, I just, you know, in my head as a, when I'm not a youth, I'm like, <laughs> my dad really screwed the pooch on that. I'm like, what the heck, man? I mean, look at all these other deer I could have been killing, you know, selfishly, but he just didn't know. So that might be, and you might dive into that in your camps, but I think education and I think a lot of parents, moms and dads that, they just don't know how to read the regulations. And, mm-hmm. and our state, ODFW, doesn't do a great job. The perception is um, from me that they don't do a great job in educating, you know, families about how to read those darn regs because our regulations are pretty confusing compared to other states. Mm-hmm. So that was the other thing that blew my mind when I moved out here. And I started digging into it and... I wasn't even reading the regs. It was just me making a comment and then John correcting me. Like, well, you, you can't do that because that's a different um, unit. Like unit, what are you talking about? You know, so it is tough. I agree. It is, there's a lot of opportunities in Oregon and I think some of these Western states, but it is, it is intimidating and daunting just to figure out. Cause I think, you know, especially if the parent isn't as involved, probably like we are, mm-hmm. you look at that and you're like, I just don't want to do anything wrong. So I'm not going to do anything. Percent, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything because yeah. I, I don't know if I'm on public land, if I'm on private land, it, you know, am I inside city limits? Am I, yeah. you know, all these things, yeah. you know, and then do I have the correct tag? Am I in the right unit? It's. You almost sometimes can't help but feel like they almost set you up to to fail or have those gray areas. And I feel like some of the States I'm like, why is this so complicated? Like I need this, that, and that, like, you know, it's, it's hard. And I don't think, like you said, these agencies always do a good job of making it very clear. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is the hunters, you know, responsibility to, to know what they're doing and where they're doing it and that they have everything. But at the same time, like, can you just make it a little easier Mm -hmm. or, you know, have some 
extracurricular education for people to like better understand these regulations. It's, it's tricky. It does feel a little overmanaged at some point, mm-hmm. you know, and I understand some of these Western states, uh, the, the cool, the really awesome part is that we have so much diversity in big game. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, there's so many things to consider. Mm-hmm. I, I can understand from these, from the point of view of uh, ODFW and, and some of these other agencies, but I, I've, I agree. If you got in a pinch on something, I feel like you could go to court with the regs and be like, here you go, mm-hmm. uh, judge, <laughs> read that. And then, then let's give me a sentence. Cause you know, there's, I think there's a lot of people that just make mistakes Yeah, and they're honest mistakes. So it's tough. But to your original point, I, th- I think it is tough. The question of, because I have an eight-year-old boy and he's been going with me uh, hunting the last two years. <clears throat> we started spring bear hunting last year a little bit together. And, and uh, this fall, he sat in a tree stand with me and um, we shot a deer the other day. And But, you know, it's, it's, it was cool. It was really cool. But there was the questions of, because we were sitting about eight feet apart in different trees, you know, dad, um, how long are we going to be up here? You know, so you do, (laughs) you want them to, you don't want to give them a a false sense of we get one every time we go out or we see animals every time we go out, but then you also don't want it to be such a drag that they never want to do it again. It's a fine line. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take them bluegill fishing. First time you take your kid fishing, you got to take them to catch something easy. They need to experience success and stay Mm -hmm. warm and, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's your house. This yep. is the bluegill fishing. That's right, <laughs> blacktail hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's tough with kids too, because I mean, I as much as I love hunting, I mean, there was definitely a point where I kind of stepped away, not completely stepped away. I never did that, but I, you know, I was more interested in girls and and you know, just other stuff, sports yeah. and whatnot, you know. But then another phase comes, and you and then I jump back in with both feet. So right. So let's, let's walk through this season and how it kind of unfolded and what hunting looked like for you this year. I know that you shot an elk. Uh, you also just got that buck with your son. Uh, John, let's start with you since we kind of don't know much about what yeah, happened for be, you this year. There's not much to talk about. This quick. Really, really fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, that won't be much to cover here by any means. No. Um, I'm giving him a hard time because John's usually very successful. So I got to take my shots when I can get it. <laughs> no, no. I deserve it. Uh, boy. I will say though, back to the entrepreneurial thing and, and owning your own business, yeah. uh, when you are, you know, in the thick of it, it definitely does affect, mm-hmm. you know, how much time you get to spend in the woods. Boy, do you want elk season too? Yeah. Okay. Bit. Three day, three days, four days for me, the last four days of the season, uh, I had an opportunity and I messed it up and, uh, I'm not real happy about that. What happened? Uh, let's see here behind a lock gate. This was on warehouser property and, um, walk in or bike in only and found two bulls by themselves, two raghorns in a unit, uh, one evening, went back in the next morning. First, first thing was about a mile and a half, maybe two miles back in there. They were still there. I was like, sweet, this is going to happen. I've actually shot an elk in the That's year. where you messed up. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I was pretty confident because I, I had actually killed an elk in this area before and I knew right how to get on them and it was just cracking light. And so it took me about 45 minutes to go around, you know, via bicycle. 
stopped about 300 yards short and I was below them. They were up on a bench. You know, I do, I, I love stocking in my socks. It's like, I'm probably guilty of taking my boots off too early because <laughs> that's how much I love it. You know, I, I always carry an extra pair of thick wool sneaking socks and it, it was just, it was awesome. Wind was right. Snuck up this old cat road, popped out on the landing Oh, they're right where I, that's right where I saw you a half an hour ago. You know, oh, this is great. Uh, lays 50 yards and uh, came to full draw. Uh, the, the bull on the right was feeding to the left. He came into this perfect opening. I didn't have to stop him with my mouth. He just, you know, perfectly broadside, just does one of these things, turns, looks at me. And I really worked on, um, I've been guilty in the past on shooting too early. Because let's be honest, when you stop an elk or a deer, you have all, you have at least, if they don't spook right away, you have a lot of time to shoot, you know, settle in and focus. And, and so I probably held the longest I ever have and made sure that my pin was where it was supposed to be. And I shot and, you know, you hear the impact and the two elk take off running. And, and, uh, the one I shot was behind a fir tree, about a, you know, six year old fir tree. So I couldn't see his body i'm just waiting for him to fall over and the other bulls standing there at 60 yards looking at me and and i'm like you know about 30 seconds goes by and he's like what's going on you know like why aren't you dying (laughs) (laughs) and then he steps out and he starts walking up the hill and i see my whole arrow hanging out of him you know on the wrong side on the wrong side yes and uh Long story short, I did not get another shot. That bull worked its way slowly up through the unit. I watched him for about 10 minutes and he stopped multiple times just looking back down the hill. Mm. Uh, he, neither of them knew I was there. I just couldn't believe that where my arrow was at, you know, where the impact was at, that I did not get more penetration. Mm. Um, it wasn't like front shoulder, you know, far ahead front shoulder. I think this elk had a genetic deformity and it had oversized scapulas <laughs> and uh, I've heard very, of that. <laughs> very heavy bone density. It's common in the Western. Uh, and uh, I was shooting a, a broadhead that was perfectly capable of blowing through both scapulas. Actually, I shot a big bull with that same broadhead, not the exact same broadhead, same brand mm-hmm. um, two years prior that blew through both scapulas pretty much in the same spot where I thought I hit this bull at. Uh, anyhow, we know how that story goes. You know, I took them for four or 500 yards. You know, they stopped bleeding relatively quick and I followed them for track for a long ways. And he, he never bedded down. He's not dead. Uh, so anyhow, that was, that was my elk season. I had an opportunity, which I'm thankful for. And I, it just didn't, it was on me. So uh, something obviously happened there. I was a little higher than I probably should have been. Um, so I was bummed. That's, you know, that's, yeah. that's a bummer. Um, and then blacktail season, we talked about, you know, our favorite way to hunt the deer, right? To hunt blacktail. I think a lot of that kind of depends on the weather. You know, if you get snow, who doesn't like hunting in the snow, right? So, um, but then again, your amount of time to hunt has a, a big factor on whether or not you're able to do that. I had a particular buck pretty close to home this year that I would call a valley buck, lower elevation deer, exceptional deer, uh, very, very large for, for the area. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never done this before. I said, I'm going to hunt this one deer all season. And he, uh, 
it's, this could be another podcast. It's, I mean, it's comical how well this deer had me patterned. Oh. And I yeah. saw him twice. He's just, he's a um, smart, smart old buck. And I, ne- I never did uh, get a shot. So I actually didn't punch my tag this year. Um, I hunted him up until the last day. Mm. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. I learned, learned a lot. Um, and uh, that about sums up my season. What was your biggest takeaway from that buck? And I'm, I w- I've never been one to really manage my scent, scent control. You know, I just kind of, you know, I don't have scent lock. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. I'm not a smoker. Uh, the I would venture to say what the deer smell most is probably like summer sausage <laughs> and like rich crackers. <laughs> Fritos. <laughs> I've never found that to be very offensive to deer in the past. It was to this book. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so Were you a couple of Capri Suns one evening. I spilled. <laughs> it probably was a bad call. I shouldn't, shouldn't drink those. I told you not to bring those in the stand. Uh, I so you know, I know. So I still hunted and I did st- and I okay. stand hunted. But um, where he where this buck's home range, where he spent most of his time, he always had the wind in his favor. And I've... That's why he's an old buck. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> I, I was, was never on him when there was never a scenario where I could get at him. Uh, in Oregon, you're allowed to use some incentives, which I was totally prepared to do to shoot this thing because I was running out of options. And, uh, but the does that were using the particular, you know, bait at the time, they were never in heat or he was never with them. There was never a period where, cause that's generally how you're going to get a big one like that is if, you know, they're with a doe yep. that isn't heat and then they kind of drop their, yep. you know, they that's drop their guard a little bit and then they, you might get lucky. Um, man, this, do- this buck was smart. He'd always come in downwind. Um, he was at at my particular stance, he would show up there. I, gosh, I probably had a half dozen cameras on this mountain. And, uh, he, it was always one of those deals where I would get down and he'd be there an hour later. You know, one night I could hear him up the hill from me. The wind was horrible. I could hear him in the brush. I was like, that doesn't sound like a bear. You know, I got down. He was there 10 minutes later mm. and he knew exactly where I was at. And uh, anyhow, it was fun. A little chess match that he won. So yeah. I got some ideas for next year. Uh, long and short of it. That particular deer, you know, some scent control would have been great. You know, if I would have mm-hmm. taken more precautions there, it probably would have helped. But You think in treating like yourself and your gear or just having less smelly food items? <laughs> Possibly. <No. laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so um, it was a bit of a hike to get in there. So being more cautious about like sweating, um, washing, having a, having a scent control system, yeah. you know, I've done that in the past. It's a lot of work to do it right. You I don't know. do it. No, I don't. I've been fortunate enough to kill some big bucks and not have to having to worry about that. But I think this particular deer, since he knew I was there and I, I really truly think he knew I, he knew I was hunting him or I was, he didn't like being around me, obviously. Uh, that it probably would have helped. I think best case scenario, scent control system with, you know, something that had um, activated carbon in it, like a scent lock suit. Um, you can really go down into the weeds there, you know, showers, stuff your breath. Oh, yeah. But I think it would have made a big difference there. You know, getting dressed outside of the car when you show up. I mean, you can. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I never, for this year, I never did pack any snacks or dinners or TV dinners into the stand. Um, so it wasn't that. But it was, I, it was fun. I've always wondered 
would it help with scenarios like that where you have a deer that's just really cautious of scent to like leave a hoodie or leave something so that even at night when there's no, I mean, nothing's going to happen. They're going to come in, you know, if they're on a pile, like, is that going to help them kind of like ease into that? I mean, I know that we have such different smells, like our human bodies, our mouths. Um, so I don't know if it would help, but I've always kind of been curious. Mm-hmm. Couldn't hurt. And I, I did do that. You did. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Um, I am there's their noses are so good. I think mm-hmm. that it's probably a different scent than like, I think it's breath really. Mm-hmm. I've read in a lot of different documents that, you know, 60, 70% of your scent is actually yep. emitted from your breath. Right. Um, but well, it, could, just, it couldn't hurt. Think about how foul that is too. Cause like if you have somebody, if you're around someone with bad breath and you, you yeah. know, we with terrible mm-hmm. noses can pick it up when somebody mm-hmm. walks in the room. I mean, that's gotta be just right. Offensive. Totally yeah. Offensive to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried, uh, yeah, there was one there in the final days I was getting really desperate because it was, the rut was kind of over and he actually was being more consistent on, on the bait. And, uh, so Jake's, Jake's like, have you tried just like packing the bucket up in the stand with you or something? And I'm like, I did that, man. I did that. I, it was funny. It was, it was really good. Uh, like restricting his food. Like you got to come when I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dialing down, dialing down the portions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, I, I think the best way to have gotten him was obviously to get back away from the, try to get the wind right and, mm-hmm. and, you know, get close to his bedding and, but hmm. it's, it was, it was a good year. Mm-hmm. That's fun though. I mean, him and I have obviously discussed this buck quite a bit and to, uh, you know, that's as far as hunting is concerned, you know, it is just so fun to get a scenario where you have, you know, and this is a little bit more like whitetail hunting now where you get, you start to know a buck mm-hmm. and dial it in and you're like, okay, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. But yeah, when they turn it up and they're like, mm-mm, you know, they, they do get to the point where, and it's, it's, it is not coincidence that they're there when you're not Oh yeah. like, Oh man, if I only would have been in the stand this afternoon, that's not exactly true. That buck probably wouldn't have came in, if, right. you know, if they right. get to the point where this buck, like this buck was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. You know, it gives you something to look forward to going into the next season. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Different tactics. Obviously the same thing's probably not going to work if you do the same thing again. Mm-hmm. So. But, but, but before we pass over Jake, my favorite way to hunt them is still hunting them. Um, in the and, snow or uh, just and anywhere anything. really yeah. in general. I go really, really slow to the point where some people don't like hunting <laughs> with me because it's just, it's a, it's kind of a slow burn in the mountains. I really like to do it in the mountains in the snow. Yeah. Um, but time, you know, we, so, we, we were really blessed with the really active uh, Christmas purchases and selling season. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. I just kind of hunted around the house. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you're going to go out and still hunt, like maybe that area, particularly like at what point do you like hike into a certain point and then you start still hunting or are you still hunting the entire time? I'd say once you get, you know, around a hundred yards, it will, it depends on the area you're in. Right. Um, if you, ha- if you're parking at a gate and you need to cover a mile, sure. you know, to get to a patch of timber that you want to still hunt, you know, that's one thing. But a lot of our places you can, you start going slow as soon as you step off the road. So did you have him pretty dialed as to where he was betting? I had a pretty good idea. Okay. Yeah. 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 I did. And the reason that he was hard to get to is because he was always, 
access to this area was always from below mm. and the wind was always, mm-hmm. he was always bedded with the wind in his favor mm-hmm. and on a ridge, series of ridges looking down, cut, coming in from the backside was pretty tough gotcha. to access. And it was, the wind always swirled up there and anyhow. So, I mean, I want to sit on this for just a minute talking about still hunting because that's a lot of what we did up in Kodiak was still hunt. And for us, it might've looked different than it was for you. Um, so walk me through, like, are you going to, you know, obviously you said you're moving really slow. Are you going to then stop, sit, listen, watch glass? Like take me through your process of still hunting. A lot of it depends on how brushy it is Mm -hmm. and how far you can see. So I tend to move a little faster through, you know, stuff that I can see better in, but still it's, it's generally sneak two or three steps, stop and scan. And a lot of the, if in some areas, you know, you're looking behind you, Jake and I, we've had bucks walk up behind us lots, actually, mm-hmm. uh, hunting up in the hills. Cause you're, you know, a, a cruising buck's obviously going to be moving faster than you're still hunting mm-hmm. ideally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, it's literally that take a couple steps, stop, look, listen, Take a couple more. It's a test in patience. You're going. It is. You're, you could be going 100 yards and it might take you 20 minutes to go 100 yards. Yeah, okay. But so often, you know, you are, you know, the deer ideally moving and you just got to see them before they see you mm-hmm. really is what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and it's so hard sometimes because it's so thick. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're really, I feel like a lot of time you're using your, your ears more than mm-hmm. your eyes because where I'm at when I still hunt, I typically will hear them before I see them. And mm-hmm. then it kind of gives me a little bit of time, but mm-hmm. yeah, I almost never see them before I, mm-hmm. before I hear them. Yeah. Um, thank you, Western Oregon. Yay. Oh yeah. And it's <laughs> tough if it's not raining, I yeah. mean, you know, and if it's dry, it's tough. Mm-hmm. So are you really trying to control all of your, your noise when you're walking through there? Are you taking each step very strategically to, to minimize any, any, yeah. Noise? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And if you do happen to break a branch, you know, stop walking, wait a couple minutes. Oftentimes if you know, you're able to observe deer, you know, they, they hear trees falling and, mm-hmm. and branches breaking all the time and they'll be alerted and they might look in that area, but they'll after 10, 15 seconds, they'll go back to feeding or walking and, you know, but if they hear multiple loud noises, you know, then they're, mm-hmm. they're definitely put on edge, but. Something that I've been paying a little more closer attention to the last couple of years is just the, because Western Oregon, so our late bow season comes in the week before Thanksgiving. So it's usually around the 20th, 18th, 20th of, of November. And by then, depending on the year, but usually the rut is kind of winding down. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends. Like two years ago, we had a really, like the rut was late. And I remember John and I and everybody we talked to, like we're seeing a lot of bucks cruising and still sparring and chasing does uh, well into like to the late part of November. Um, last year, the rut was almost completely over by the time archery hunting started. Mm-hmm. So yeah. kind of knowing what the deer are doing, especially the bucks <clears throat> at the time that you're out there makes a big difference. Cause if the ruts pretty hot and heavy and you're still hunting, like I don't think noise concealment is as big of a deal. You know, those bucks are looking and they're, you know, if they hear something, they're curious, they're going to come and check it out. If there's any opportunity that there's a hot doe around. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a scenario where, you're hunting post rut bucks or almost post rut bucks, then you, yeah, like they're starting to revert back to, okay, only moving at, you know, last light, you know, first light. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of in feeding mode where I'm putting all that weight back on yep. that I 
just ran off for the last month and a half. So being aware of your, you know, just what, what the environment is that you're hunting in is really important. I think, you know, same thing, whether you're in a tree stand or, or, or what. Yeah. Cause like to John's point, I mean, we've, so <laughs> I, I have like eight acres here and the first morning uh, I, I passed up on a nice three point, really nice buck, but young and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let him go. A couple days later, I walked up to check the camera and, and uh, I walked within 50 yards of that buck because he was with a doe. He could have cared less that was there, mm-hmm. you know, and like it two weeks later, yeah. a week later, before, like that would not happen. I would just wouldn't. So it just depends on kind of what, what the rut situation is. That's kind of the bummer about that. The fact that our archery hunt starts so late, you're always just kind of catching the last part of it. Um, occasionally you'll have a year where things are kind of later and it's still really good rut activity, but for the most part, things are kind of winding down. Did I just recently read that they changed next year's late season bow to a week later? I, I don't know. They were talking about it for sure. It may later. The, like well, extended or, no, or move the whole moved, thing back? moved it, moved Ugh. it one week later. I believe I'll have to confirm, but. I think you're not far off from that. I think I'm not certain if the proposal was approved, but with that, they're extending the rifle season mm. an additional week longer, which in Oregon, that's a, that's an any weapon. So you can use your archery equipment during that season mm-hmm. if you want. But hmm. yeah, as he was talking about that, I was just. I was thinking about that. It might make more sense to buy a rifle tag next year and just use your bow if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, I hate to hate on any hunters at all, but I've seen some pretty unsafe things happen from rifle hunters here mm-hmm. that makes me not want to be in the woods during a rifle yeah, hunt. Yeah, true. Um, but there is that option for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I if you want a real treat, go back to the Midwest during rifle season. You want to see unsafe. I say that, but everybody's as many, it's, it's, it's amazing how many hunters are like people walking around with guns and how few accidents there are. It's, I will give them that. Yeah. You know, the blaze orange thing works. Mm -hmm, So we hunted, uh, Utah last year and I don't ever want to go back. I mean, no offense to Utah. Because of the Mormons. It's, She's wow. looking at you like, why would you say that? I know. Wow. Now I just have nice, to go. Now I have to go back. Don't and worry. We can edit that out. Did you know I'm Mormon? <laughs> See? <laughs> Things I don't know. <laughs> We're learning. We're learning. Had you known that first? Um, no, it's just, it really is like combat hunting. Like there was just people everywhere. And not to mention that some of the places that you're hunting too, you're also out with people that are, <laughs> John's busting a gut right now. <laughs> You're, you're hunting with people that are recreating as well. So you're uh, kind of in this mixed yeah. bag where you're, yeah, mm-hmm. you're trying to then not hunt with the, the people that are just out for their Sunday hike and mm-hmm. then also try to avoid the guys over there hunting. And mm-hmm. I've never seen so many people in my life. So what did you there. do? Was it a deer hunt? Or? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was. So there's like hikers, like recreating? Yeah. Just, camping? Yeah. Just people enjoying the snow and hanging out uh, and hiking and hmm. yeah, running their dogs and. Um, I mean, which is great. It just, that's not for me. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I'm hunting, I'd much rather see less animals and less people than potentially more animals and more people. Yeah. I'm just not a, I'm not a hunting people person when I'm out. I hate but. that. I just don't like the idea of like having to look over your shoulder. 
mm-hmm. for, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, that's no fun. Yeah. Walk me through kind of what your season, how, you know, how it all unfolded from elk to, you know, obviously we heard that you got that buck mm-hmm. with your son, um, but walk us through that. And then I have another question about trail cameras. Okay. Uh, yeah, my, my season was a little more front loaded on the elk side. Um, blacktail was, I mean, I hunted <clears throat> quite a bit, but just, I was a little more picky, I guess. And, um, so yeah, elk was, uh, I've never had a season like this before. It was, it was just, uh, again, a test of patience. And so I had, I drew a tag for Eastern Oregon and, and there was, Unfortunately, it's getting a lot more common that fire danger mm. is a real consideration right. when you're hunting anywhere in the West. Um, but, you know, we've had, and I'm sure this has affected you. I mean, everybody seems like has had fire impact their hunt the last 10 years in some way, whether it's just you're hunting in a lot of smoke and that sucks, or, you know, your area is shut down because of, of, of a fire or fire goes through your area. So, uh, wherever, I, you know, there was a bunch of fires in Eastern Oregon and, you know, there was just, I, the availability to hunt where I wanted to was not, was not there. It just wasn't open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, fortunately John was here doing all the work. So I actually had quite a bit of the season to hunt and I was solo, which was fine. I have no problem hunting by myself, but the duration that I was over there, uh, not being able to hunt was really tough. It's one of those things where just logistically, I didn't want to drive back and forth a bunch cause it's a long trip. So I stayed over there and it was a lot less, uh, it was a lot less about hunting and more about just kind of mental fortitude just cause I was by myself and you know, it was smoky. It was, uh, they're just where I, where I was able to hunt everybody was there because we were all confined to a certain area and it was really rough. Mm. It was just to the point where I'm like, I I just want to go home. You know, (laughs) I miss my family. I am getting kind of bored, not talking to anybody. I read some books, which, you know, was a first for a while, which was nice, but uh, yeah, it was really tough. So fast forward, finally, you know, the fires kind of were, under control a little bit more and we were able to access a little bit more of the area. And, uh, once that happened, it only took a couple hours one morning where, you know, I was finally able to get to an area where I wanted to be. And again, I was by myself, but I was, it was rejuvenation because I had gone two and a half weeks with, you know, being just kind of restricted. So get into this spot where we can finally explore the space as walking, walking said, <laughs> and, uh, you know, immediately right out of the truck, hear some bugles start, you know, just like John pushing, pushing my bike up the hill and, and, uh, was not ready for the first bull, which I thought was a guy because mm-hmm. you know how it goes after a while, you hear so many, yeah. you run into so many people, you start getting very, I mean, we're, we're pessimistic to begin with. We're like, that's a guy. <laughs> and, uh, I had thought the same thing. I had been like, okay, that doesn't sound quite right. It was a bull. I pushed my bike. I got to, a, I got to a point where I'm starting to second guess myself. I'm like, oh, this sounds pretty good now. And you know, I'm within a couple hundred yards of this bull. I set my bike against a tree, take my backpack off, 
just about to get my bow like off my backpack and this bull steps out at 70 yards mm. and right in the road. No idea <laughs> I was there. Um, he's, but well, he does now cause he's staring right at me. And, uh, I'm like, I, I, I'm going to shoot any bull I see at this point. Cause I just really wanted to make something happen and, and come home. Yeah. You know, my folks drove out from Wisconsin to help like daycare and stuff like that. Oh, so wow. there's just yeah. a lot of things in your you mind. Start some guilt and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pressure. Yep. You know, people take time out of their, their lives yeah. to make, you know, and uh, honestly, all of that doesn't, you know, it's all in your head. Right. Because exactly. those people are just, they want to help you out. Plus they wanted to see their grandkids. <laughs> so, um, Blew that opportunity. Luckily, there was more elk talking that day. I was able to get on another bull and was kind of working both bulls, the one that I had spooked off and this other bull. And it just all worked out really cool. I wish I really would have had a cameraman there, mm -hmm. not, not to like post, just to be able to kind of go back and look uh, because this bull had about 12 cows with them. And we were in an area that was pretty open. So you could see really well and he was just putting on a show mm. it was really neat to see him just hooking all of his cows making sure none of them got out of you know where he was comfortable for them to right. be and it was a nice bull six point and he you know at one point the 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 cows they never no none of these elk ever knew i was there but they started working kind of up the other side of a ridge and i'm like okay i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to start chasing these elk again right and uh Luckily, something spooked the lead cow. And you were silent at this point. Not I did not them. call much at okay. all that morning. I called on the way up because I was that first initial bull. We, him and I were talking a little bit. But after that, I kind of went silent because there was just so much activity. Yeah. And John and I are both, and, you know, he's taught me a lot about this. <clears throat> just I don't call if I don't have to. If, especially if there's elk talking. If I can get into a scenario where right. yeah. they're not moving or they're actually coming closer, I can only screw it up at that point. So I feel much better about my chances if I go in silent yep. and try to make something happen. So, so yeah, I was initially chasing the bull that I'd spooked off and this bull came up a drainage that I was kind of going to cross. Okay. And he just, he was working right into me, which was great. Worked across the other side of the drainage. I had multiple 50, 60, 70 yard openings. And I was drawn back three or four times and he just would never stop. It didn't matter if I, you know, cow called at him. He just, he had so many cows yeah. with him. If he did stop, he would, it, he wasn't where I needed him to be. So yeah, it got to the point where I, I didn't think it was going to happen. They started moving off and the lead cow, something spooked her and they all ran back down the, into the drainage I was standing in. And to the point where they got too close. Like had lead, you, had you moved yet? Had you started moving to like? Not direction. really. Okay. Um, initially when I heard him, because it was so open, I had to kind of make a big loop. Like I, I, I wanted to make sure I was well covered mm. because there just wasn't much cover in this particular drainage. There was right in the drainage, like right where the Creek was, but everything else had been cut a while back and it just, it was pretty bare. A lot of good food, you know, they were there eating. So it was, it was, it was a good spot, but no, I, I didn't, I didn't really move around a lot on this bull. Yeah. I didn't have to. I was about to because I thought I was going to have to chase him back up the other mm -hmm. side of the uh, the drainage. But when those cows spooked, they ran back down the drainage, and uh, I was basically standing at the bottom. And uh, they came across the creek, and she was within ten feet of me. 
And I don't, I don't know any elk at that point. She, she knew something was up. She's like, she, she's just like, eh, something's not right here. Uh, the wind was good, which was great. Cause otherwise I, this whole thing would have went South. But so she ends up kind of running up behind me. And at that point she got my wind, but it was too late because he did not want her to leave. So he came around this tree and I did not have a chance to get my rangefinder on him because it happened pretty quick at this point. I guessed 50 yards. He was standing like quartering towards me just a bit. Um, but I felt pretty comfortable with the shot. Um, as long as he was where I thought he was as far as yardage, mm -hmm. which was 50, he was probably right there. So I cut one loose and I saw the arrow impact and I had my reed in my mouth and I immediately hit him with the cow call and he had just, there was so much activity going around him because his cows were kind of scattering at this point. He had, he was just, he had no idea what happened. Mm -hmm. So a cow call, a cow call. And it was really neat because I got to see him for 30 seconds, 35 seconds as he kind of just walked up and over a little knob and I could just see his rack up there, you know, and I could see the blood coming out of his, mm -hmm. that, where my impact mm -hmm. was. So I felt good about it, but I don't know. I've been on enough. <laughs> blood trails and stuff. Like I will feel good when I see him on the ground. Yeah. So like usual, I said I was going to give it an hour and I gave it about five minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said to myself, all right, well, let's just go to the impact point. Let's so I find a little bit of blood. I'll go back up by my bike, you know, get my pack, get some water, that sort of thing. And, uh, found the first blood said, okay, that's good, Jake. Now just, now just leave. Just, just give him time. I'm like, well, I feel pretty good about the shot. So I like, like, well, let me just find a little more blood. These are all things you should not do. And I did. And I only had to take like 10 more steps and I could see where he had, he had, he had fallen down just like right out of sight. Mm. So I've told John this a couple of times, but the amount of relief I felt, um, just with the amount of time I'd been over there by myself, yeah, it was very gratifying. It was just, it was a great bull. Don't get me wrong, but honestly, if it was a spike, I would have felt the same way. It was just awesome. to stick it out that long, and uh, and again, not just just not just to not to be around anybody. Yeah. You know, that's the biggest thing of hunting is like you just want to share it with somebody. You know, even if you're not seeing anything, you at least have you know something to to talk about, somebody to BS with, and right? Yeah, share stories, right? The well, updates I was getting from him, you know, like every three or four days. It was like that movie Castaway. Yeah. Right. I mean, he was, I could literally, I mean, I could tell that he was slowly going crazy <laughs> through his text. Now there's no that, tone in text, but yeah. I mean, it was, I was, was getting, pretty, it was comical. I was getting pretty frustrated. <laughs> it was, I was, I was, the updates got shorter and shorter. Yeah. And it was, it was what you went 13, 14 days without seeing an elk or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it just was hard. It was pretty rough. I was so, so happy. It all worked out really great. Mm -hmm. um, could not be happier with like how it all ended. That's awesome. And it was, and I'll never forget just the the progression. I did, so I did almost daily, not every day, but about every other day I was doing like little video updates so I could at least kind of remember how I was feeling and in the moment. And uh, yeah, so I cut them all together when I got home and I just kind of, you know, you can just see, and like to John's point, you can see my attitude yeah. kind of getting worse and worse. See and the worse. vibe decline. It was, it was a vibe thing. You know, yeah. like I had plenty of energy and I was getting good sleep and like, 
like nutrition, all that stuff was, was fine. It was yeah. not, none of that was issue. It was just really just the mental. Yeah. I just kind of missed, you know, sharing mm-hmm. the day with, with somebody. So yeah. I always struggle when I'm away from my kids that long. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of guilt for being gone or I'm like, I wonder how the game went today. And when you have limited comms, it's hard because, mm-hmm. you know, you feel so removed from them. Like their accessibility to you is mm-hmm. so, you know, limited, but it, it's, yeah. Yourself indeed. Different. Indeed. Uh, I think maybe as we all get a little older and we, you know, our kids grow up and have their own lives, it might be a little bit different, but like when they're, yeah, I mean, when I left, they weren't in school. When I got back, they were, they had been in school for two weeks. Yeah, your and, son's yeah, got a mustache. And- son's got a mustache and a girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. She's moving in. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was an incredible year and I'm extremely, I, I learned so much about just, just a lot of things. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun and, and, and a lot of work. So that was elk season. And I was just, like I said, very grateful. Uh, deer season, late deer, late deer season, again, to, to John's kind of echo his point, you know, we just don't have as much time as we'd like yeah. to. Um, and so I did hunt around uh, locally quite a bit and I was, I had some nice bucks on camera and kind of the same deal though. I just, they, you know, they were either there like the week before season started and then there's just kind of period, you know, sporadically throughout the first week. And, um, we're lucky enough that some of these deer, I can, I can count on them making it through, you know, at least, at least yeah. there's a good chance they're going to make sure. it through. So, um, I was just, my son started hunting with me and, and going along and he was, he really wanted me to shoot something, yeah. you know, and I wanted him to witness that because next year he'll be nine and he can, I believe, hunt on, on one of our mentor tags. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted him to see, and I was going to shoot a doe cause we have in this particular area where I am, we honestly have too many does. Sure. So <laughs> I was going to shoot like we all, for whatever reason, the one day we're up there, it's the last day of season. I, and I wanted to do it in the morning cause I wanted to have the, you know, I wanted to find it in daylight and I wanted him to kind of, you know, be, be able to see everything better. Yeah. So we go up there on the last morning and we're sitting in the tree stands. And of course, you know, the, the one doe that came in had just this tiny little fawn with her. And I'm like, I'm not going to shoot her. And this buck came in, this little fork and horn, and he would not leave. He would not leave. You're like, uh Oh, he would not leave. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he finally left. And I get from Charlie, oh, ah, yeah, how long are we going to be up here? And, uh, I'm like, well, let's give it another 45 minutes or so. This freaking fork buck came back again. He just could not, he couldn't, he couldn't stay away. And I looked over <laughs> at Charlie because as he was coming in, I could still communicate with Charlie without the, without the buck hearing me. And I was like, do you want me to shoot the buck? He's like, yes, yes, definitely do that. <laughs> so so sweet. he gave us, you know, gave us a good shot, made, you know, made it, it was a pretty slam dunk setup and uh, he got to see it fall down and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, we did the whole blood trail thing you know we went down because it all looks different when you get on the ground yep and so it's I, you know he learned a lot because i think that for, for just for that fact like you sit up in a tree stand and you see everything go down then you get on the ground and you're like whoa well was he standing here or there so it was really neat to be able to go through the recovery process we found the arrow right away I showed him the blood and I said, okay, here's what lung blood looks like versus, you know, like if you hit him in the stomach, you know, that's where they eat. So you're going to see grass and it's going to kind of smell bad and stuff. And so it was a really cool learning moment for him. Great, and yeah. and uh, he dug it. He dug the whole thing. He helped me gut it out and skin it and hang it. And, uh, you know, he wanted to eat 
everything he could off of it. So it was neat. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think that full circle moment with kids is, is so important because, you know, it didn't sound like you necessarily needed to track, but you had the opportunity with blood where you could get down and you guys can go through that process or, Mm -hmm. you know, examine the arrow and talk about the difference in blood and appearance Mm -hmm. and smell. And, and those are things that a lot, I mean, you don't always get those opportunities, opportunities, especially in Oregon are, they're kind of few and far between. So you have to capitalize Mm -hmm. and and teach them those Mm -hmm. things. That's so vital. Yeah. And without like going down a whole other next generation, these kids don't know what they're doing. Rabbit hole. You know, that when you, and again, I've learned a lot from John and some, you know, his brother's really good at it too. It's just like the nuances that come and the patience Mm -hmm. tracking a deer, like, you know, my son likes video games and he likes to watch TV and, you know, he's a smart kid, you know, he likes to read and stuff, but, but, but everything is, it's right now, you know, yeah, it's immediate gratification. So I think it's really important to get into a scenario where like, okay, you know, we're talking about taking something's life, mm-hmm. you know, and now there's a certain way to do this, you know, and, and patience and patience and patience. And yeah. so, yeah, anytime you can, like you're to your point where you can take the opportunity to teach that, I think it's vital. Definitely. Definitely. Um, that's something I think about, like even with field dressing out animals, my dad, for some reason, maybe he's just a weirdo (laughs) would never let anybody else do it. Mm. Even if it was somebody else's, he'd be like, I'll cut it. You know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I didn't care as a kid. I'm (laughs) like, good. Thank you. You know? Um, and then it's to the point where, you know, for the last eight years or so I've done the gutless method. So then in Kodiak and I was, going to break the pelvis. And I'm like, God, my dad always did this part, you know? So, (laughs) but yeah, it's important to have those moments where, Mm -hmm. you know, you have that mentorship and you can walk them through the right way to do Mm -hmm. things. And, Mm -hmm. um, so great that he got to be a part of that. Yeah. He was, he was pretty jacked. Say goodbye to your tags from now on. I know. I know. I, uh, Odessa is probably gonna have to get an archery tag next year. So <laughs> yeah. she can, she can take him out. But <laughs> no, he's, he's excited. So it was, it was fun. Right. It was, it was a, you know, as, as a year is it goes, I mean, we, we, John and I both had a lot of opportunities and I, we always talk about after the season, what we learned mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's always something to learn. You know, you always make a mistake. You always could do something a little bit different. So, so what was your biggest takeaway from the season? Um, from elk season, you know, it was just perseverance. You know, it's so easy to get down mm-hmm. and it would have been so easy for me to pack up and come home. Sure. Like I would have been totally happy with that. I would have been fine. Like I tried, I tried really hard, <laughs> but the perseverance and sticking it out, um, it almost is always, you know, it's always rewarding. Yeah. It's just, you know, cause at least you, you can, even if you don't get anything, you could say like, I did everything I could. No regrets. No regrets. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I know if I would have came home, you even I would have had regrets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, 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 you know, as far as tactics and stuff like that, I will second John every time. I can put my sneaky socks on. I feel like I am in a video game and I just like powered up a little bit and I'm actually (laughs) somehow quieter than the prey. Um, I don't know. It's a good feeling. I have also put them on too early and then ended up with, with wet socks though. You know, I've never done sneaky socks. I feel like I'm missing something here, but I instantly have this thought where I'm like, crap, what happens when then you get so much farther? you like, you, you pack your stuff with you, right? Like your boots go in your pack on your back. You're not like leaving. So you're going to, you got to circle back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 
You, you always want to make sure you mark your pack really well. Definitely. Where your boots are at. I've spent a, way too much time looking for my boots than I, I'd care to admit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you, you definitely should try it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty uncanny how quiet you can be once you take your boots off. You ever notice a bear, how they don't make any sounds when you see them walking mm-hmm. through the woods? Mm-hmm. I mean... I can't tell you how many times I've had bears walk up behind me or I've seen bears and they walk right past me. And it could be dry and they are so Can't quiet. Yeah. It's like that. Mm-hmm. Makes except, sense. Except you have a weapon. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try it. Very effective. I'll report back. Very effective. <laughs> but make sure you pack extra socks. If you have to make the decision to go socks and you don't have extra socks, just be really sure that you don't get wet feet. I was thinking more about the briars. Uh, you know what's and, interesting? They oh don't, yeah. unless you like step on a, like a pretty strong blackberry bush. Blackberries wouldn't be fun, yeah. No, but other than that, even like little pine needles and stuff, uh, for whatever reason, they don't. Mm. I've been there. curious about, there's some really cool products out there. Um, you know, moccasins, you know, mm-hmm. the leather. Yeah. And, you know, I have an old pair of, I think I saw Abenson wearing them in like a circa 1991 how to call elk video. Basically it's just like felt bottoms yeah. that go on the bottom of your feet. I still use like those. Like over your boots? Yeah, over okay. your boots. Okay. Yeah, I still use those from time to time on gravel, but... Not as quiet. <sighs> I'm sure these products are great, but it is it's crazy how quiet you are in socks. Yeah, gotcha. And you're going to love it. Gotcha. Well, we'll circle back next year when you've refined your scent control. <laughs> and have a, a it's big just that buck one deer story yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah gosh that sucker but that goes to show um the different environments you're in like i can hunt behind the house here and you know a lot of the deer i see are they're used to the smells and i can be up there i mean charlie was sitting with me and i know you know he i haven't really bought him camo yet because we're working into it, you know? So he's sitting up there with sweatpants, school jacket, like everything that reeks wind blowing directly at these deer and they could care less. Mm, yeah. You know? They're just used to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, for the fine folks listening in, uh, we could continue on. I'm sure. I don't know what our time's at, but let everybody know where they can reach out and find you. John, you're so, you know, popular and all over social media. So why don't you lead off? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, see my, uh, our Instagram is, uh, at currently it's praying at, man, pr- at, at praying, praying man, P R E Y I N G M A N, um, apparel. Yes. Uh, I also have a booming IG account. It's just at John Eastburn. Did have, you haven't posted on that? In have like you four posted years. anything in the last two years? Four years, four, three years, probably pushing. Four so years, yeah, that's a good follow. So yeah, definitely. yeah, a lot yeah. of content there. I can't say much. I don't do much on my personal. <laughs> everything, everything goes to the business now, which essentially is what would be on my personal account right. anyway. So yeah, at at Praying Man Apparel is where you can find us both on Facebook and on Instagram. And what about online? If people want to purchase yeah. some merch, yeah, support us, man. We we love it. We got a lot yeah. of really cool stuff out there. So go to prayingman.com, P-R-E-Y. Um, and we got a lot of cool stuff. We, again, you know, we, we try really hard to be a little bit different than um, just some of the other stuff you see out there. Yeah. So. 
Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.